This is the long-awaited episode 3 of Showing Love, a New York Knicks podcast and personal audio diary. I am your host and DJ, NotLamar95. It's been a minute, y'all. I hope you're all doing well, or at least trying your best to do well. I personally feel like I'm approaching cloud nine myself, especially since this episode officially exists now. I'm also feeling pretty good since I was able to get some great seats to that Knicks-Pistons game earlier this month. I went with my homie, but he's a hating-ass Nets fan, so you know how that goes. He ran out of jokes by the second quarter, and there was literally nothing left for him to do but for, <laughs> but to, <laughs> but to root for Mason Plumley to start a comeback. Randall balled, RJ balled, but more importantly, Alfred Payton returned as a starter and dropped 26 and four, and even knocked down a three for good measure. Mwah, it was worth every penny to see that live. But enough about me experiencing Nirvana. It's time to get your well-deserved content. So after this quick break, I'll be unveiling a brand new segment that might become a staple of the show going forward. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Showing Love with your host, Not Lamar95. We're going to kick off the show with my new segment, What's New? York Knicks. The segment was born after I tried to drop an episode after the Derrick Rose trade happened. Be sure to check it out if you haven't given it a listen already. Or give it another listen because you like the sound of my voice. That episode was the result of me chasing Nick-based trends because I was riding high off the success of the first episode and... To be honest, I really wanted to give you guys something more, but it didn't go as well as I hoped. And the episode was still late, since Rose had already played his first game against the Miami Heat at the time, and he already impressed everyone, even though the Knicks ended up losing the game. Plus, the episode length was just way too short to be even considered a podcast, if you ask me. It felt like the episode was over right when it was getting good, and honestly, that's kind of a waste of time if we're going to be honest. So, to prevent this from being an issue again, what's new, York Knicks, will recap all the important Knicks-based news that happened since the last show and give me a chance to speculate the effect they will have on the team, or just in general, really. And what better, or bitter, news to kick off the new segment than the injury to the Knicks' young defensive anchor, Mitchell Big Meech Robinson. The year three center was having a dominant game against a shorthanded Washington Wizards that sat out their star Bradley Beal on February 12th. He was on pace to get his first 2020 game of his career, but Meech's night was cut short when he banged his right hand on Julius Randle's elbow late in the second quarter. Adrian Wojnarowski would confirm our worst fears the next day, revealing that Meech will be undergoing surgery on his fractured right hand and miss four to six weeks. I don't think I need to tell y'all that this is a huge loss. The Knicks would go 7-3 during Meech's absence at the time I've released this episode, but his interior presence will be missed in upcoming matchups against Orlando, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. The Knicks haven't suffered too much mental damage from the lack of Meech in the paint, though. Coach Tibbs has this team on a next man up, the games keep coming mentality, so while this is a significant blow, these guys won't allow it to stop them from competing and playing the defense that's made them so good this year. In the Derrick Rose episode, 
I said that Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson, and Obi Toppin would have to step up big time to cover for the defensive flaws of the Quick Roses lineup. And I was mostly right on that prediction. Noel has blossomed as our starter, averaging 2.2 blocks per game and 1.3 steals per game since February 13th. He also had three games during that 10 game stretch where he played 40 plus minutes. Noel's perimeter defense has also been great. He moves his feet well and uses his long arms to strip any careless ball handle within his vicinity. His hands were made to project the ball. Which also explains why those same hands can barely catch any lobs or any entry passes when he's in the paint. However, Noel did have that disgusting putback dunk over Atlanta Hawks center John Collins to ice the game in stylist fashion, so he is forgiven. Taj Gibson had a great run before he went down with an ankle injury against the Indiana Pacers on February 27th. He wasn't always going to top 16 minutes a night, but he was still a decent finisher around the rim with years of defensive savvy to offset his lack of athleticism. He already proved his worth by preventing Carl Anthony Towns from making a game-winning 9-foot floater under the Knicks in a surprisingly tight game against the Timberwolves on February 21st. Toppin was going to be the only reliability defensively, but Tibbs wasn't going to ask him to guard the toughest assignment. He played some solid off-ball D and made some small strides on the offensive end. He was running hard on the break and setting himself up deep in post position. We even saw Randall play some five at times because he's an all-star that puts the team's needs first. Our front court situation is going to be a patchwork job for a couple more weeks, but I think they can manage until Mitchell Robinson returns. Hell, maybe we'll bury the hatchet with Joe Kim Noah and have him come back for one last job. Now. You all can call me crazy from this point forward because I think there might be some short-term benefits from losing Nietzsche. I'm kind of hoping opposing teams shy away from the three and try to attack the Knicks in the paint more since the young center is still out for the time being. I say, let him try. Noel has held the paint down so far and it's a safe bet to assume that he can continue to do so. We probably lost Taj for another week. Randall and Toppin are a bit undersized to be protecting the rim for long stretches or against certain matchups, but they are big enough to heavily contest shots without fouling. I'm expecting more of an emphasis on rebounding from the Knicks' perimeter players to, you know, increase the chances of the Knicks being able to finish off defensive possessions. This half-baked scheme could work if the Knicks' perimeter defense can force three-point shooters off the arc, without fouling of course, and make looks at the rim their only good option. I trust Reggie Bullock, RJ Barrett, and Alfred Payton to be able to do this because they have the size and they've done this consistently all year. But I can't say the same thing for Alec Burks, Derrick Rose, and Emmanuel quickly because to be honest, it'd be a waste of time if I'm going to be real. These three aren't here for their defense. They're here to provide an offensive spark, which is something this team desperately needs at times. The main goal for this team's defense should be to drag opposing teams down to their level. Take away their three and force a defensive battle where every bucket is hard to get and opposing teams are forced to fight the Knicks in the paint. It's a style that benefits the Knicks at the end of the day, since, you know, they're not a team that could win an offensive shootout anyway. And low scoring defensive matches are something the Knicks can win 8 times out of 10 as far as I'm concerned. Speaking of low scoring, there was a Frank Nittalakina sighting against the Sacramento Kings on February 25th. Alfred Payton sat out the game due to a sore hamstring, 
which opened up the back rotation just enough for Nidal Aquino to slide right in. His fans were excited to see him out there that night, and he gave the Knicks a solid performance for his first in-game appearance since late December. Frankie Smokes logged 23 minutes, scored 7 points, and had 3 steals that included stripping De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Smoke struggled to get over screens and was a step slow keeping up with Fox and Halliburton, but that should be expected given his long stint on the bench. He more than made up for it by denying Buddy Hield all game and keeping the ball out of his hand. And Coach Tibbs liked what he saw. He gave Frankie big fourth quarter minutes to close out the game and gave him glowing praise in the post-game interview about his play and overall professionalism. Hell. Tibbs would even give him the start against San Antonio on March 2nd. But I gotta be a wet blanket. I believe he'll get minutes depending on the matchup, but when Payne returns, he'll be back to the bench for Frank until the next injury or rest scenario. I think Frank fans would be better off enjoying what they got so far and keeping their expectations low for the remainder of the season. There's still plenty basketball to be played, but I think there's a clear hierarchy of who Tibbs is going to start and give minutes to as far as the point guard situation is concerned. The other big news that needs to be talked about is Julius Randle being declared a reserve for the 2021 NBA All-Star Game. But this glorious news can't simply be contained in this one segment. King Julius needs a whole segment to himself to talk about his greatness this season. So after I take a short break, I will preach the good word of Julius Randle and his unbelievable turnaround of a season. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Showing Love with your host, Not Lamar 95 When I first decided to go all in on the Knicks this season, I figured we'd be in an eye to slightly garbage team this year. We'd go through the motions as a mediocre team early into the season, then bottom out completely as the tough January schedule forces the Knicks to the bottom of the Eastern Conference. I was honestly banking on IQ and Obi Toppin to be my main source of enjoyment this season. Vegas thought we were going to suck and I believed it. The roster didn't look special on paper, and I was ready to embrace a very humbling year one of my Knicks fandom. But the Knicks subtly made moves that would help them surpass everyone's expectations this season, and it all starts from the top down. To start, the Knicks entered the season with a much better front office and coaching situation. Leon Rose, a former agent to LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, and well-respected around the league as an executive, became president of the Knicks in March 2020. Rose would make the call to draft Obi Toppin, trade for Emmanuel quickly, sign Nerlens Noel, and hire Tom Thibodeau as head coach of the Knicks. Leon's hiring of Tibbs led to the recruiting of assistant coach Kenny Payne, the former associate head coach of the University of Kentucky. Coach Payne is well known for coaching some of the best big men to come out of Kentucky in the last 10 years, including Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and of course, Julius Randle. The one thing Payne wants his bigs to do is move like a guard and finish like a big, meaning he wants bigs to maximize their ball skills and athleticism to allow them to use their strength more effectively around the rim. Now, for a quick disclaimer, I wasn't watching the LOL Knicks of last year. 
But from what I've read and heard, the city was ready to throw out Randall with Thursday's trash pickup. Nick fans aren't shy about letting players know when they suck, so Randall must have been playing particularly putrid last year to earn the ire of the city. Now it's time to give credit where credit is due. Randall used that 9 month break from basketball to improve his game and start the season in the best shape of his career. He accepted the criticism of the New York faithful and used it to challenge himself to get better. The debut of the new and improved Randall would be on December 27, 2020. Julius Randall, with major contributions from Alfred Payton, would give the Knicks their first win of the season against Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks, putting up a disgusting 29-14-7 while going 3-for-5 from deep. This was the game that would define what Randall would give the Knicks all season. An efficient 20-plus point-per-game scorer, a double-digit rebounder, and a top-of-the-key playmaker that can find anyone on the court, if you don't mind the occasional turnover. The Knicks would need this level of play from Randall in January. He would go on to average 22.2 points per game, 11.4 boards a game, 5.6 assists per game, and a serviceable 33% from three that month. Randall would have his best performances against the Jazz, Nuggets, Nets, Blazers, and the Clippers in January, even if it didn't always result in a W. No matter the outcome, Randall will at the very least keep the Knicks competitive in these tough games in January, so going 7-9 for the month is pretty impressive given the circumstances. The Knicks would leave January behind as a 9-12 team, good for 9th in the East at the time. With a much easier schedule ahead, the Knicks would need to seize the opportunity to make up for lost ground in the wide open East. The Knicks would need even more from Julius Randall, and man, would he deliver. For February, he would average just under 25 points per game, grab 10.6 boards per game, dish out 4.6 assists per game, and pick somebody's pocket at least once per game. What, still not impressed? How about 46% from three? And this ain't no low volume BS either. Randall's out here with just under six attempts from behind the arc, and he was shooting flames. Randall also leads the league in total minutes played at 1,358 minutes as of March 8, 2021. Fatigue is just a foreign concept to him. He probably thinks load management has something to do with Amazon's two-day shipping. Randall has clearly elevated his game, but individual play isn't enough to make a team competitive. Randall becoming the leader the Knicks need has been the core ingredient to the Knicks' success this year. In Randall's Player Tribune article, Reputation, he owned up to his selfish play from the previous season. But more importantly, he acknowledged that the team needed his leadership and that he failed to give it to them. He came into the new season with a much better mindset, trying to pass on knowledge to the team's young players. He preached the value of watching tape, prepping for a new opponent's tendencies each night, and setting an example with his plain to gym ritual that the whole team now follows. On the court, you can see the synergy he has with teammates like Reggie Bullock and RJ Barrett. Randall has a sixth sense for where Bullock is at all times and never hesitates to feed him when any team is foolish enough to double team him. Randall also trusts RJ to support him throughout the ebbs and flows of a game. He clears out space for Barrett to take advantage of mismatches, or he just simply finds him in the corner for three in the fourth quarter when the team really needs a bucket. The team rallies behind Randall's play every night, always feeding him when he's got a favorable matchup or giving him the ball when the team needs to start a run. 
This was even more apparent when Randall single-handedly spanked the Atlanta Hawks, dropping a 44-piece on them as a late Valentine's Day present. But let me give a quick shout out to RJ Barrett. Those two clutch threes he hit in the fourth really helped put the Hawks away for good. And one of those threes were an assist from Randall because of course they were. Now back to the All-Star. Randall was eating Atlanta Hawks center John Collins' lunch every time he got the ball in the perimeter. He was shooting like Collins wasn't even there. The Hawks would eventually switch Clint Capella onto Randall, but he'd fare no better. Randall would take Capella to the rim if he played him a little too close, or he'd just shoot over him if he sagged off of him for even a second. It was a performance that deserved an audience. Randall's masterful shooting was on full display that night, and Theo Penson, IQ, and RJ Barrett had to crash Randall's post-game interview to let the world know that they were looking at a bona fide all-star. The biggest surprise about Randall's game this year is easily his efficiency from three. His shooting this year felt like such a sudden development, and there are still doubters out there that aren't convinced and can only assume regression to some kind of mean is waiting for him in the second half of the season. But to me, it doesn't really matter if his three is real or fake. Randall's play this season has reversed the narrative of the Knicks, and the fans finally have something to beat their chest about. And the chest beating can only get louder at this point, because our boy Julius Randle is an all-star. The sky's the limit for our guy. Most improved player, all-NBA third team, a second round appearance in the playoffs. Guaranteed. Randall's got a long and arduous trek ahead of him just to win MIP, but with how he's playing, it'll be worth watching every second. With that said, it's time for a short break. But when I return, closing remarks and the final sign-off. I'll be right back. I finally got this episode out. Man, I've been sitting on this episode for weeks. I just really haven't had the time to write this script and actually record this bad boy. Honestly, I blame a lack of sleep and time for that. But I also want to shout out work, classes, and especially poor time management for making this thing almost not possible. The next episode should be uh, primarily about ball and fall recaps for February, and hopefully a little bit of March predictions as well. Well, March and probably a bit of April. March is a bit weird because we're kind of starting at the second half of March, and, you know, we can't really count the first two games against San Antonio and Detroit. So, you know, I'm going to have to get a little creative with the the predictions on that one. So we'll see what I'm going to do with that. But honestly, I'm just happy that Knicks basketball is back. This second half of the season is going to be so exciting. We got some real matchups coming up. We got some nationally televised games. Uh, our boy Meech will probably be back. This is going to be a huge month. This is going to be a huge couple weeks for us. It's going to be sink or swim for our boys. And if you're a Knicks fan, you're just kind of ready to see what happens. It doesn't even matter if we win them or lose them. I just want to see what we can do and see who's going to step up. And who knows? Maybe the front office got one more trade surprise for us. The sky's the limit right now. I'm 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 geeking. So for now. That will do it for episode three of Showing Love, a New York Knicks podcast and personal audio diary. If you want to submit questions to the show, leave a review, or suggest topics for future episodes, email the show at showinglove95 at gmail.com. That's 
S-H-O-W-I-N-G-L-O-V-E-95 at gmail.com. If you like this series, add this show's RSS URL to wherever you get your podcasts to get future episodes right when they drop. And share the show with other Nick fans or basketball lovers. I'd really appreciate it. Whether you loved it, hated it, or forgot you had it running in the background, thank you for taking the time to hear it to the very end. I'll see y'all in the comic section. Peace.